Our text this afternoon is John chapter 1, verses 6 through 13. And this is the word of God. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Will you pray with me, friends? Father, again we bow. Again we acknowledge our need for you. Again we declare ourselves unworthy on our own. And Father, your word here is familiar, but I pray that familiarity will not breed, I don't know, contempt, that it won't breed a casual attitude toward things that we should know. Help us instead love your word and study your word and grow from your word. Help us meet you in your word. Thank you for this church. Thank you for our opportunity to gather. And I pray now that we will honor you most in this time. In Christ's holy name, amen. You can be seated. Christmas time requires decisions. You guys would agree that that's true, wouldn't you? What gift do I buy that person? Do I buy that person a gift at all? Whose family should we visit? How many cookies are just too many? In our culture, if you want to live through Christmas, you've got to make choices. But I'll tell you that that's not new because in point of fact, Christmas has always required decisions. But the decision that I'm thinking of right here is of far greater significance than what corner of the living room should get the tree this year You see, when a person is forced to put real thought into the Savior, he or she must make a choice. You've got to choose. Do you believe the story of Jesus? Will you surrender to Jesus? Verses 1 through 18 of the gospel, according to John, are often called the prologue. It's a sort of introduction to the book prologue will hint to many of the truths and the themes that you'll see John teach throughout this gospel. And part of what that means for you and me here this afternoon is that we're about to see in a highly condensed form some significant theological truth. Last week in a look at verses 1 through 5, we saw seven claims that Jesus is God. 
We saw the claim Jesus is eternal. Jesus is the self-expression or the word of God. Jesus is in eternal Trinitarian fellowship with the Father and the Spirit. At the end of verse 1, we saw the, the phrase, Jesus is God, the word was God. Jesus possesses, we say Jesus is creator, verse 3. Jesus is the creator of everything that's ever been created. Jesus possesses life in himself. Jesus' life is the light that is neither recognized by the darkness nor overcome by the darkness. In a really rapid fire staccato opening this book, John gives us point after point, hint after hint, that Jesus Christ is truly God. And as Christmas approaches, we want to remember that the Savior whose earthly birth that we are celebrating, He is genuinely God who has come to this earth to bring about your salvation and mine. As you think about the arrival of the Savior, as you think about celebrating the Savior's birth, you should be asking yourself a question, maybe a couple, but ask yourself this question. Have I responded rightly to the Savior? Because if you haven't responded rightly to the Savior, Christmas is not going to be a source of lasting and eternal joy for you. Instead, if you refuse to respond rightly to the Savior, Christmas will be an annual testimony before God against you. Christmas will be a year-by-year reminder before the Lord God Almighty that you refuse to respond to the offer of salvation in His Son. And I plead with you, do not let that be the case with you. As we move forward in John's Gospel today, We're going to find three points. We're going to see a person who gives testimony to the truth of Jesus. And we will see two different responses to Jesus. One response leads to death. The other response leads to life. And this day, friends, we will bear witness to Jesus, the light of life, the light that gives life. So if you're ready, are you ready? Point number one, then. Point number one. Bear witness to Jesus. Our first point, something you can do as a Christian, bear witness to Jesus. Look at verses 6 through 8. There was a man sent from God, his name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The first five verses of this book took us into eternity past and we saw Jesus, the living word of God, and he has existed from before creation began. He did not come into being, he just is. Jesus is the creator, he is God the Son. And the light of Jesus, verses 4 and 5 says, is going to shine into all the world. But as we pick up the study here in verse 6, the story abruptly changes. Initially, it's all about Jesus. Initially, it's focused powerfully on the fact that Jesus is uncreated, that he is God. But now we see a shift to the arrival of a man. This is a created man, not an eternal being. And the man comes into the world with a very significant mission. We see the arrival of a man whose name is John. 
Now, don't let yourself be confused here in verse 6. The John in verse 6 is not the John who wrote the book called John. Isn't that funny? It's a book called John, introduces a guy named John, and it's not the John who wrote John. The Apostle John, who wrote this gospel, he will tell us some things about himself in this gospel, but he never mentions himself by name. The only thing that the author John will call himself in this book is the disciple whom Jesus loved. By the way, that's not a bad label if you got to wear one, right? And it appears that John didn't really want his name to be in any way made the focus of his telling the good news of Jesus Christ. And the man named John, here in verse 6, instead then, is John the Baptist. And we'll see John's ministry described in this book in chapter 1, verses 19 to 36, so just a couple sermons from now, and in chapter 3, verses 22 through 36. So I'm not going to take a ton of time this morning to tell you about John's life and ministry. This is the introduction, after all. We're going to get to his life and ministry later. But what you want to know about John right now is that he came as a witness whose purpose it is to bear witness to the light, the life of the Son of God. So I ask you the question, what is a witness? Now, if you're not in church and I say, what is a witness? Where do you think of? You tell me, what do you think of? Court of law, right? Very good. A witness is a person who testifies to a thing that he's seen. So someone gets in front of a judge and says, I saw Anthony going in that room. I don't know what he was doing. That's a witness, right? The word for witness in verse 7 in Greek is an interesting word, though. It's the word martyrion. That's the word we get the word martyr from. Isn't that interesting? Because a martyr is a person who has given up his life for the purpose of doing what? Bearing witness, testifying about Jesus. Now I want you to notice here, the apostle is super clear to make plain in, in this book to all of his readers, John the Baptist is a special man, but he's not the light. John was a witness to the light, but he was not the light. John's entire job is to declare Jesus Christ to others. Now, I want us to think well about the fact that John came to prepare the way or to bear witness to the light. But if you're going to do that, the best way for us to do it is to take a moment to think of the big picture of the plan of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God made mankind, human beings, in God's image. Now, because we're made in the image of God, that tells us, if nothing else, that we have a purpose and a calling and a value on our lives. Our job, your reason for being, is that you might properly magnify the glory of Almighty God. And the sweet thing is, from God, since God made you for the purpose of honoring God, when you actually do glorify God, you're going to find joy and fulfillment because you're doing the thing for which you were created. But as you probably know, if you know the book of Genesis, mankind didn't do what God created us to do very well, did we? 
Instead, in the garden, the first man and the first woman, they fought against God. They rebelled against God. They pushed back against God. They sinned against God. And they plunged the entire world into sin and darkness. All human ills, all human problems, all sickness, all death, all these are the result of sin coming into the human experience. God rightly could have destroyed humanity at the moment of that rebellion. God rightly could have wiped us off the face of the earth for going against his wishes. After all, we are his property, right? But God had a greater plan than all that. God intended that he would demonstrate both his justice and his mercy, his love and his wrath in the world that he had created. God had planned from before the moment of creation that he would not simply destroy a rebellious people. Instead, God planned that he would rescue a people for himself out of sinful humanity. And in the garden, God made a very clear, predictive promise. One day, a person would come into the world, descended from the woman, and this one to come would destroy the devil. You guys know the promise, right? He will crush your head. He will strike his heel. And as Scripture rolled on in the Old Testament, time passed, God continued to make that promise with greater and greater specificity. One is coming. One will, will crush the devil. One will be a blessing to the world. And we often call the one to come, the promised one, the chosen one, the one who will rescue humanity. We call him the Messiah, which means anointed one or chosen one. Or maybe we call him the Christ, which is Greek for Messiah. God God then made a promise to a guy named Abram, Genesis 12, that this promised Savior was going to come through his family line. God starts to narrow down, where can we see the promised one come? And God even changed Abram's name to Abraham as a hint of the promise coming through Abraham's family. And then God said the same thing to descendants of Abraham like Isaac and Jacob, who he named Israel. Judah and King David got a similar promise. And God promised not only that he was going to send this rescuer into the world, this one to save us through Abraham's family, Isaac and Jacob and Israel and Judah and David. God also said that he would send a forerunner of the Messiah, a a herald who would tell people to get ready. You guys know what a herald is. Like we, again, we don't think of that today, right? But have you ever seen an old movie where a person comes to the door or gets out in the city and does the whole hear ye, hear ye kind of stuff, right? A herald tells people, pay attention, it's about to happen. God says, when I send that promised rescuer, I'm sending a forerunner, a herald before him. And he will prepare the way for the king to come. 
In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, the Bible says, A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And Malachi 3, verse 1 says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare a way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. After thousands of years of God promising and promising a Savior to come, it was finally time for that Savior to enter the world. And just as God had promised, God would send a man into the world to prepare the Savior's way. And the whole point of this this person to come would be to tell the people around him, get ready because the Messiah, the Christ, is on his way. The promised rescuer is on his way. And that, friends, was John the Baptist's job. Obviously, John the Baptist was a very important person. Perhaps the most important person that had ever walked the earth in the history of redemption. Until Jesus. And this is what the author wants you and me to see. John the Baptist is not and has never been the focus of the story. John the Baptist's role was to bear witness, to testify to the truth that the Savior had come. John the Baptist was to try to help people believe. Okay, Christians, stop here and think with me just a second. Obviously, you and I are not John the Baptist, right? None of you are wearing camel hair and goats and stuff like that, right? Eating locusts and wild honey. You don't have John's mission. But then, maybe we do have John's mission. We're not called to baptize people to tell them to get ready for the arrival of the Savior. We don't tell people, get cleaned up because the Savior's on his way. But we are called by God to point people to the Savior who has already come and who will come again. We are called by God to encourage people to believe. We are called by God to warn people that they need to run to the grace of Jesus Christ before it is too late. So like John the Baptist, we're not called to be the center of the story. You have never been called to be the center of the story. You are not even the center of your own story. You're not the light, at least not in the way that John's using it here. You're not the Savior, but you have been given by the Savior a mission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Lord Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Christian, like the Baptist, you do have a job. You are called by God to bear witness to the Savior. You are called by God to testify, to witness to, marturion, to witness to the true light of life who has come into the world. You are called to tell people that they need to run to Jesus to find salvation. You are called to help people who have run to Jesus to learn how to follow Jesus. That is your job, and that is my job. 
So I would ask you, Christian, for whom, for whom are you praying? Who do you know who doesn't know Jesus? Maybe you could start committing yourself to ask the Lord to help them. Are you regularly praying for someone who's lost in your world? And if you are praying for somebody, great. What else can you do to point them to Jesus? Do you tell these people that they need salvation or are you waiting for them to wonder? Do you invite them to the church that they might hear the gospel presented? I hope that you've noticed, Christians, even though I expect this room to be mostly Christians, that we share the gospel every week in this place, don't we? I hope you hear that. That's on purpose. If nothing else, you could bring somebody here. Are you committed to doing the things that it takes to bear witness to Jesus? You have a responsibility, and your responsibility is that you would tell people the truth. You don't make people believe. You can't make somebody believe. Aren't you grateful, by the way, that the job of bringing belief into a soul is not yours? But we can tell the truth. And then it's between them and the Lord as to how they respond. But please, Christians here at PRC, make it a high priority of yours to bear witness to Jesus. Well, how are they going to respond if I bear witness to Jesus? Well, we'll see two types of response in this prologue. Let's make our second point kind of a warning against the wrong response. The second point, number two, is be careful not to miss Jesus. Be careful not to miss Jesus. Look at 9 through 11. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Remember, again, we're reading the prologue, right? This is the introduction to the book of John. This is, this, is the, this is the scenes at the beginning before the movie starts. And the author here is pointing you to the big, big topics, big themes he's going to unpack later. And John reminds us that one of the key themes of the gospel according to John, you'll see it over and over again, is going to be that the people who should have recognized Jesus, the people who should have welcomed Jesus, did not do so. Some people, many people in this book will make the wrong choice. And they will ignore or they will even reject the light who gives life. I want to illustrate here. Little... Little can make a person feel more foolish than when you completely miss the point of something. You ever have that happen? All right, let's just try this because I think, I can't tell if you're with me. Husbands, there are some husbands in this room, right? Okay, a few of you. I want you to imagine, husbands, that your spouse sends you to the grocery store to pick up something simple. We're going to assume that it's a loaf of bread. I understand it could be gluten-free if you need it to be, but you're going to the store for a loaf of bread. Are you with me so far? Okay. Now, you hop in the car, you go to the store, and while you're there, 
you notice that cereal is on sale. <laughs> That's the good stuff. I like that. Some cinnamon toast crunch, right? And then you find, oh, look, they have holiday flavors of ice cream. My wife loves the holiday flavors of ice cream. If, if there's ice cream with candy cane broken up in it, that's Mitzi's jam. Then you go by the meat counter, and there is a really nice-looking cut of meat there that's on sale, and you, you pick it up, and you go to the checkout lane, and you buy your stuff, and you get it in the car, and you drive home, and you proudly display for your spouse what you bought, and then she has one very important question for you. Can you guess what that question is? is where's the bread <laughs> that is, that's exactly what's written in my notes right now just so you know where is the bread and back to the store you go right men can you identify with this this is true isn't it it is a little inconvenient maybe a little embarrassing to go to the store for a single item buy a bunch of other stuff and then come home without the one thing you went out to get right that's a little embarrassing it's a little inconvenient it costs you a little bit of time it might even cost you a little bit of extra money it might become a story that your wife will tell about you if she wishes to remind you from time to time that you are not absolutely perfect but the mistake of missing the point of a trip to the grocery store isn't really a major life-altering failure. But here in John 1, 9 through 11, we are seeing a mistake that is made by a great many people, and it's a similar mistake in that people are missing the main point. But it's far bigger because these people are not missing the main point of a shopping trip, but of life itself. And the consequences for missing that point are deadly earnest. As we look into this point, your response to this point should be different depending on how you personally have already responded to Jesus. Whether you watch it on Facebook, whether you're in this room, your response to this point, and you have to respond to this point, you cannot not respond to it. Your response will be different depending on whether you have already responded to Jesus or not. There are some of you who will hear this right now and John is giving you a warning that should caution you to be careful not to miss Jesus. And there's others of you who know Jesus and this passage should remind you that there are many people around you who still need to have you share the good news of Jesus with them so they don't miss the main point of life itself. Watch this section unfold here. Back in verse 4 and verse 5, John said to us, In him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness hasn't overcome it. Something about Jesus and Jesus' life is the light of the world, a light that no darkness can either understand or defeat. And then John the Baptist, he was a man sent by God to point people to the light of, 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 of the world. But John wasn't the light. The light was still to come. One day the light's come and John's pointing to the light. Then verse 9 tells us, finally the true light which gives light to everyone is coming into the world. Jesus is coming into the world. His life is going to be a light that shines on or impacts every single person who has ever been born. And no human being who has ever been born will be unaffected by the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means when it says the light shines on everyone. Everyone. Now, you ask me, Travis, how is that the case? Is John here saying that everybody in the world is going to believe in Jesus and be saved? No. 
we know that is not biblical truth? Is John saying that everybody in the world receives from Jesus some sort of deep inner illumination that puts us all on a neutral spiritual plane with some sort of happy spiritual energy? No, that's not it either. Neither does the light of Jesus actually have the same effect on every person it touches. In fact, we're going to see that people respond very differently to the light of Jesus. But what we must say for sure is that every single person in all of human history has the light of Jesus Christ shine on them. And every single person in all of human history, when all is said and done, will either embrace or reject the light and life of Jesus. Now let me ask you a question. You work with me here. Do, do, do you love, in every situation of your life, do you love light in every situation? What do you think? Kind of depends what you're doing, doesn't it? If you're trying to sleep, is light your friend? Not so much, right? If you are trying to sneak, is light your friend? But if you're trying to see, if you're trying to walk safely, light is very much the thing you want. So what about what John's saying here? The light came into the world. God the Son comes into the world and he shines his light on every man. And how each person responds to him is either in love or hatred. And there is no middle ground to how you respond to Jesus. And John describes for us the two responses to him here. Look at verse 10 again, 10 and 11. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. So here is the the group that rejects Jesus outright. They hate the light. That's a theme in John, by the way, that there will be people who hate the light. Even though the world was made through Jesus, the world did not know him. That is a terrible testimony against the world. You know, a few years ago, I remember there was a, a TV commercial. And I loved it as a guitar player. Because it had a guitar store... And a couple young guys playing on a signature edition Les Paul electric guitar. Now, do any of you know what that is? Okay, it's a cool thing if you don't know what I'm talking about, okay? If any of you wants to give me one of those for Christmas, it's okay. I just want you to know, it's fine. But but these kids are playing on, I mean, a real Les Paul. And into the frame comes a little old man kind of shuffling in there. And in a weak old guy voice says, hey, hey, can I play the guitar? And the young guys, you can picture that kind of eye rolling. All right, fine, let's let the old guy play, hoping that he will get it over with as quickly as possible. And in the commercial, this old guy gets hold of the guitar and he rips off an out-of-this-world blues solo. And the young guys are amazed. I mean, big, wide-eyed, jaw-dropping, whoa, kind of guitar store moment. And the old man gets done and he gives the guitar back to the young guy who was playing. And the young guy says, that was amazing. What's your name, man? And the old guy says, It's on your guitar. 
And it was, it was Les Paul, the, the actual Les Paul himself in the commercial. And the kids had no idea that they were in the presence of absolute greatness. I mean, look, as far as the guitar world is concerned, you can't get much better than that. These kids were standing next to a man. They were being arrogant. They didn't have any clue that this man who walked into the store was a thousand times better guitar player than all of them would ever be if their talents were combined. And for the world to fail to recognize the light, the word, the creator, it's kind of similar to that, except on an infinitely larger scale. Mankind stands around confident in his knowledge, confident in his accomplishment, confident in science. We love science. We know it all. But mankind has been, for the most part, oblivious to the fact that the one who created the world actually visited the world the one who knows more than anyone else how to truly live the human life, the one who knows truly what the purpose is for human life, he came and lived a human life. And mankind, we turn our back on Jesus thinking he was some irrelevant, unfortunately misunderstood teacher from 2,000 years ago. And in doing so, mankind misses out on the opportunity to know God himself. Mankind, in our foolish blindness, misses out on the only one who could ever give us life. Because we think we know more about life than the author of life himself. The light came into the world. The very world that was created through him. And the world ignored and rejected him. That theme of rejection gets, if possible, even worse because Jesus came, it says, to his own and his own people didn't receive him. Not only did the world in general reject Jesus, but Israel, that nation that carries God's promise of the one to come, also rejected him. And the key point, the key point of the Old Testament is that repeated promise of God saying over and over and over again, I'm going to send somebody into the world who's going to be the Savior. The Savior's coming. He's coming through this way. I'm going to send a Savior. I promise the Savior's coming. That's the Old Testament. God says it over and over and over again, especially to Israel, the people of God. But by the time Jesus arrived on the scene, Israel was not interested in receiving the real promised one. Instead, the leaders were more interested in political power and personal prestige. And here I remind you, Be careful not to miss Jesus. Let's do this too for for you Christians here today. It's Christmas season. Can I remind you Christians not to miss Jesus in the small stuff? You Christian, great. Don't let life pass you by without living in the light of the Savior. Don't let Christmas come and go without you thanking God for sending the Savior. When you string some lights on a tree... When you see the Advent candles burning, remember that God told you, I sent myself, my light of life, my only son into the world to save your soul. Celebrate Jesus. Now, by the way, that is not anti-Christmas cookie or Christmas goodie. That is not anti 
music and gifts. I'm just saying don't miss Jesus. And let's remind you, just as we're going for in the primary purpose at this point, don't miss Jesus in the big stuff. If you've never believed in Jesus and surrendered to Jesus' lordship, you are in great danger of missing the light of the world. And missing that light is devastating because it means missing God. Missing the light means failing to do that for which you were created. Missing that light means falling under the wrath and judgment of God forever. Missing that light means hell. But if you can hear my voice, It is not too late for you. And the hope is found in the other response that we see people make to Jesus, which is in point number three, the final point for today. Point number three, if you're ready for it, believe in Jesus for life. Point number three, believe in Jesus for life. Look at verses 12 to 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So John, he's hinting to us at the story of Jesus to come here. He makes sure that you know a few things right up front. Not every person is going to reject the light. There are those who will be saved, and that's really good news. You and I are not without hope. And John makes it clear that the whole here, sorry, that the whole point of our salvation, the whole aspect of our salvation, our salvation is the glorious work of God from its very start to its very finish. How, How do we respond to the light? Look at the word John uses here. He says you have to receive him. And then he clarifies, what do you mean by receive him? He says you receive the light of God's life by believing in his name. Whose name do you believe in? You believe in the name of the light in verse 9. You believe in the name of the word in verse 1. And we're going to find out as we study this book, we're talking about Jesus. You receive salvation when you receive Jesus, when you believe in his name. What happens when a person receives Jesus? According to John... They're given the right to become children of God. Those who are genuinely saved by Jesus are brought into God's family. We're not not simply not enemies anymore. That's nice not to be God's enemy. I'm glad about that. But he says, no, you are a beloved child of God. You have become a son or a daughter of God. Well, how are we born into the family of God? Verse 12 tells us some things we're not. First, you're not born of blood. That means that your physical bloodline has nothing to do with whether or not you go to heaven. You need not be born of physical Israel. It doesn't matter if your heritage is good or bad in your opinion. How many of you think that you have a really lovely family tree? How many of you got some uh, weirdos in the family tree? No person's ethnicity, no person's skin color means a single thing when it comes to relationship with God. Aren't you glad about that? It doesn't matter whether your dad was a preacher or a policeman, a janitor, or a criminal, or some combination of all those. Your physical bloodline has nothing to do with the eternal state of your soul. 
Neither are you born into the family of God by the will of the flesh. This is important. There's no physical activity that you can take part in that causes your salvation. No sacred element that you could eat or touch or hold. No sacred place you can go will give you salvation. That is different than every other world religion out there. Salvation does not come to you through any work of your flesh. John also says that your salvation is not by, get this, the will of man. You might have a translation has that worded as not of a husband's will. In human reproduction, a man and a woman make a choice to have a baby and there are steps they take to make that occur. We're not born of God that way by someone deciding, I'm going to make that occur. We do not take steps that will bring about our salvation. No, John says, John says that the birth into God's family is completely the work of God. You do not behave the right way to be made the child of God. You do not have the right family tree to be made God's child. You do not take a certain set of right steps, go through the right classes to become a child of God. Instead, unlike you see in every other religion in the world, the only way for you to be made right with God is if you let go of your own effort and fully entrust your life, your soul, your eternity to Jesus. And what we see here introduced is a key theme in John's telling of the gospel. Salvation is by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And it is beautifully gracious. We are rebels who would never turn to God on our own. God doesn't just forgive us. God brings us into his very own family. He makes us genuine children of God. But it doesn't occur through human deeds or religious action. Your becoming a child of God, my becoming a child of God happens when we're born of God and there's not a single child who ever decided when they would be born. Are you a Christian? If so, I want you to be careful not to develop a manner of believing that gives to yourself any credit for your own salvation. You were not born of God because you did a good thing and you were not a child of God because you have a good background and you're not a child of God because you're smarter than other people or because you made a smarter choice than other people didn't make. You, if you're born of God, are born of God because of the finished work of Jesus. Yes, it has always been your responsibility to believe in Jesus, to receive him by faith. But even that faith is a gift given to you by God so that your salvation and my salvation is a gift of God from start to finish. See Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. If you're a Christian, what should you do? You should point people to Jesus just like John the Baptist did. People out there, people in your house, people at your workplace need to hear they need to respond to the light of the world. And you can help them to know the truth. And Christian, give God thanks for doing all the work to save your soul. And give God 
100% of the glory for anyone's salvation. And if you don't yet know Jesus, you've got to see this call here to be born of God by receiving Jesus, by believing in his name. Let go of yourself. Let go of being your own master. Believe that Jesus is your only hope. Cry out to Jesus for mercy and be born of God. And friends, if you don't know how to do that, if you don't know what it means to cry out to Jesus, I would urge you, reach out to me and I will be happy to help you get started. Let's bow together. Let's pray. Father, here we are, still in great, great need. Your word has shown us the call to bear witness to Jesus. Your word has shown us that we could never save ourselves. Your word has reminded us that many, many people will not respond rightly to the Savior. And your word has called us to give you praise for our salvation, to rejoice in it. Your word has called people who, have heard, who are hearing this to come to Jesus for salvation who've never come. I pray this, Lord. Would you do mighty work through your word to bring about the results you desire. Father, make me more grateful for salvation than I've ever been. Father, make me more faithful to share the gospel with the lost than I've ever been. Make this Christmas, even in a weird, dark year, be a time when the light of Jesus shines brighter than ever before. Make our church grow as we love Jesus and give thanks for Jesus more. And God, we will give you all the praise for all the good work you do. In Christ's holy name, amen.